from Bureaucracy's Basement to your ears, this is the weekly meeting of the Queen City Nothing Needs Improvement Bureau. Each week, the self-satisfied staff of the Bureau stick to the plan because everything is going great according to our timetable, which is just like everybody else's timetable. We resent your questions. Why are you all so negative? What if we just stopped doing our jobs altogether? You'd be sorry then, wouldn't you? Well, wouldn't you? But you know, never mind that. This meeting is now in session. Hello. Oh, hello. Oh, is that... Are, what What are you implying with your hello? I'm implying nothing with my hello. Well, okay, because I'm getting tired of all the questions. I know. I know. I, I, I can sense a little bit of testiness from you. Um, it's fine. I, and I, I had no questions. Oh, good, because I'm tired of people saying, what is your job exactly... Why Why are we paying you? Do we pay you at all? And, you know, what, why is everything just not going according to plan? And I'm like, we, we have been doing everything according to plan. I am right there with you 100%. I, I, I feel like just because I'm not obviously doing work and I'm just, you know, clearly not producing anything that looks like work or the product of work, People think that for some reason they have the right to question me and my work. Exactly. I mean, why would we produce more work when what we've been doing has been working so well? I've been occupied. Yeah. Isn't that enough? I, I, I agree. And frankly, I think when you look at our past performance and how things have been going, obviously, I don't think we would have done anything differently. Not a not a jot. No. No. I mean, terrible things have happened, but it's that's nothing could have been done. I might have started dealing with this stuff a week earlier. Maybe a week. A week okay. tops. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, I, yeah. I'd give us a hundred percent. Yeah. And the only reason I didn't start a week earlier, it was because we were planning so hard. Right. There's so much planning going on behind the scenes. How could they expect us to work if we're planning? Yeah. Do they, do they want to come down here and see all the planning, see the charts, mm-hmm. see, see the, the notes? I mean, they can if they want. I mean, I welcome that. I mean, don't do it, but I welcome it. An auditor would come in here and would say, we've been busy. Yeah. And they would be, they would be very impressed with the good work they've been doing. I mean, they would be so impressed. We don't need an auditor. Don't suggest it. Just don't even... Just put it out of your mind. Pretend we didn't say anything because we don't need an auditor who shouldn't even be here in the first place because our performance has been top notch. You know, if you say that word three times, I've heard one will show up. Oh, no. So so the auditor is basically like Beetlejuice. That's that's two. More like Candyman. Mm -hmm. More like Candyman or Bloody Mary. Ooh. Yes, any one of the, any one of those fabled monsters that yep. that aren't real, like that that person that we're not even going to mention now, who shouldn't come down, but they can if they want. But obviously, they're just boogeymen. So okay. anyway, Audit- auditors don't actually exist. They're just like what what bureaucrats tell baby bureaucrats to make right. them sleep and to behave. Yeah, yeah, just you know, mind like mind your p's and q's. And fill out your, you know, your your B twenty seven stroke six forms, or the auditors will come. And we, should we take attendance? We should absolutely take attendance. Okay. Um, okay. Our first first attendee is uh, Annie Peldick. Who? Annie Peldick. Annie Peldick. No. No. Um, uh, a Dutch Quaker, actually. Uh, she uh, she invented uh, EDM. Uh, hundreds of years before before it was even a thing. Electronic dance music. Yes. Yeah, wow. She made a, a wooden synthesizer, um, sort of a, a a mill wheel that produced little sort of like sticks, produced like drum sounds, yeah. and um, also phosphorescent algae, uh, which she would inject into small tubes to wear around her head and wrists and so on. Wow. Lady oh, and, ahead of her time. Yeah, and a lot of ergot contaminated bread. So, oh. yeah, <laughs> I mean, like a lot. 
yeah. or, or hot bread. Um, yeah, she had apparently uh, one harvest uh, moon. She um, she disappeared into the forest for several weeks and came back out with a complete discography and uh, essentially invented DJ culture. Wow. She yeah. must have been very popular. Very, very popular. Um, I mean, she was excommunicated, but uh, which You're kind right. of curtailed her popularity. Right. And people were not really ready for like EDM at the time. So. Whoa. I was trying to call it my city hall notes and I managed to like click a video. That's the only mistake I think we've ever made. Mm-hmm. I and mean, that's how good our that's how good we are at our jobs. That errant click was was it. You've broken our perfect record, but that's all right. I'm sorry, it's um, all on me. You can tell um, the auditor it's my fault. If if they if they're even real, if they show up. Yeah. Uh which they should not. Um, you know what? I do not see Annie Peldock here. I mean, she existed a few hundred years ago, so I'm not surprised. Huh. Oh, wait, I see what happened. I've mixed up the letters in the name. You? So, That's yeah, error um, number two. I know. Boy, it's, uh, the errors are, are compounding here. Uh, it should, should be um, Paul Deschen. That is me. Oh, nice. Okay, so you're present. Um, second attendee is Anon Magdair. Um, no, I don't see an Anon no. Magdair. Uh, I mean, you might wonder who is Anon Magdair. I, I do wonder who Anon Magdair is. Well, the thing is, not much is known about Anon Magdair. I mean, he, but we do know that he changed his name to Anon in order to hide his identity. Oh. Yeah. He, he, he did make one mistake, which was that he changed his first name to Anon. Yeah. And not as a last name, which, you know, that would, have gone, that would have done a lot more to keep him anonymous. I don't think there are a lot of Magdares in the phone. No, not, not many. Uh, only, only three. And uh, we, we think it's, we think it's uh, Ab- Abner Magdare, actually. Abner Mag, Abner, yeah. Mag- Abner, Ab- Abner Magder. Huh. Yeah, that's probably him. And what's um, he and, for? Uh, he's he's not famous. He's uh, he's anonymous. Oh, he's, that's that's his whole thing. So he just changed his name mm-hmm. to stay anonymous, right? Although he did a very bad job of it, right? That could probably use improvement. So I'm glad I'm glad he's going to be here, so we can right. help help improve. That right. particular, it's probably the only thing that does need improvement these days. Um, however, I don't think he's here. Oh dear. Uh, Our chances of hitting quorum are just rapidly falling apart. Um, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I'm here, and you know, and if you muck around with the like the order of the letters in his name, you get um, Aiden Morgan. Oh, and that's you. Yeah. And you're here. And I'm here. Which you already said. This is, this is <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I, that's, that's four errors. One, you pointing out that I'm here after I've already said it. And yep. two, that sort of odd little blip where I uh, mixed up the letters um, in the name. Which I, I, seems to be like the, I've done it twice now. Yeah. What's that, like Still. twice in Twice in five years of these meetings. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Although they all came within the first 10 minutes of this meeting. So that's not so good. That is true. Well, hopefully we've like the odds of, of that kind of error are so strikingly low that I think we've gotten them all out of the way. So, good. Yeah. yeah. So do we have an agenda? Of a sort. We have what an kind? agenda. Yeah, of a kind. Uh, yeah, well, there was, you know, one of these council meetings. Just when you think you're done with a council meeting, a couple weeks go by, and then there's another council meeting. They're endless. Well, the, the business of city council is never ending. I, yeah, I would like it because some of these meetings go quite long. Some of them go like mm-hmm. six, seven hours long. You know, I would think they could just like put everything they need to do on the agenda. And in that time, they could just get it all done. Then we could just go home and relax for the rest of the year. But like, I guess not. What if what if they took the number? What if they say you set a limit of three hours? 
or 45 minutes, whatever. Better. Yeah, 45 minutes. They took the number of items on the agenda and they divided it and just devoted only that amount of time. Yep. Yep. Speed democracy. Speed democracy. Yeah. And if people, you know, if delegations went too long or deliberations went too long, um, a, a circus strongman would come out and start like punching the place up. Yeah. Or what they could do is they could match up delegations with counselors. So like count, delegation would sit like a, directly across the table from the counselor and mm-hmm. just start like doing their pitch. And then like every 15 seconds, they'd ring a bell Bing, and, and they'd move, move on to the next counselor. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Uh, that's that. That would be fun. Can we keep my um, violent circus strongman idea in there, though? I don't see why not. I think, I think these ideas fit. I, I, I agree. So uh, we could actually at random, you know, as we have the delegations go by, we could place the circus strongman in there. And if the council member doesn't figure it out within say 30 seconds, yep. they, they get, they get a, they get a whammo. They get, yep. they get, yeah. They get whammied yep. by the, by the strongman. Oh, and then instead of votes, they could just arm wrestle the strongman. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that would favor, you know, the people with the, with the biceps, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's got to be some standard, right? Exactly. And it all seems very arbitrary, so why not make it fun? <laughs> Precisely. The, the, world, the world is chaos. Just, just embrace it and, and move on. 100%. Um, but yeah, so this council meeting did happen. Yeah, there was, there was a few big things came up at this meeting. Uh, the biggest one was probably the Harbor Landing West application. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't believe me when I say that Harbor Landing West is a thing that is going to happen, that we don't just get Harbor Landing. There's a sequel. There's even a sequel to the North, Harbor Landing North, but that is, that's like way off down the line. That, that's the last installment. Like that's the last movie in the trilogy. Right. Yeah. And uh, when they were putting together the official community plan, Harbor Landing West was designated a special study area. So the way that the city develops <laughs> is it develops in phases that because they want to make sure that they, they build in like rings around the city so that, you know, as the city population gets to a certain population, they build the first ring and then that's phase one. And then when the population gets bigger, they can like turn on phase two and that's the next ring. And then there's three phases. And in theory, that will get us up to a population of 300,000 people. Um, Harbor Landing West was one where they were like, we don't know what to do with you. We don't know if you fit. And we need to spend more time figuring out where in this phasing scheme you fit because uh, they were not 100% sure at the time of the official community plan what kind of impact Harbor Landing West would have on uh, other developments and on Mm -hmm. water. That's like... There's a lot of time spent talking about roads and traffic and buses and stuff, but where does the water go is a huge freaking problem for the city. Because as right. you pave things over and put houses on top of them, when it rains, none of that water that used to get sucked into the ground is going into the ground. It's just running off, hither and yon. <laughs> and so we have to like find a way to deal with all that storm water. And one of the things that's happened with Harbor Landing is that they increased the population of Harbor Landing 30% over the official community or over the neighborhood plan when they approved it to what it is now. Hmm. There's a lot more of it paved over and a lot more roof than they, they had planned for. And so the, uh, the water system gets a little overloaded there because they only built it for a population that was 30% smaller than what they've got. So they didn't want to have like, Harbor Landing West in the phasing scheme because they wanted to find out where to put it in after the fact. And Dream, the developers of, of Harbor Landing and of Coopertown, uh, which is ongoing right now, they want to speed this up because they want to build a school. Because the other thing they didn't do when they built Harbor Landing is build enough school for all the kids that were going to live there. Because right. again, they increased the population by 30%, but they did they increased the population of the school by 0%. What if it were... What if it were like an underwater school? So all so they built like this sort of building where all the water could run off and that could also be a school and the kids could swim or snorkel and uh, and get their education in the process. Kids would love that. Kids love SpongeBob SquarePants. They would love to go to an undersea school. They absolutely. 
Yeah. They would, they would, they would all enjoy going to like Sandy Bottom Elementary. Yeah. Except SpongeBob is more like ocean, and this would be more like slewy stormwater runoff. Yeah, it would be a pretty kind of a vile version of would be Dirtbag SpongeBob? Dirtbag SquarePants? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I could. Yeah. yeah or like could the, be like the school the, team could be like the school team could be like the lungfish or the mud skippers, something like that. Oh, that would be. Oh, I love that. And yeah, I would just imagine like the like the lungfish, like you know parades, you know, you know during during yeah. the games, like kids coming out flapping their useless like arms. I'm actually kind of picturing them turning into lungfish somehow. I'm not quite sure where I'm going with that, but. I will go there with you. Thank you. Because <laughs> I love that. <laughs> this is this is where we learn to return to the sea. That's yeah. that's what the school will be. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, so I should mention we're on ninety one point three FM CJTR, uh, tuned into the community. We're the Queen City Improvement Bureau talking about last week's council meeting. The uh, so the the whole catch with the special study area is that it had this like list of criteria that if you hit these criteria, then we'll let you join the phasing and dream wanted to join phase one and administration and Regina planning commission said, no, you have not hit these requirements. And among them was like, um, they want to have, make sure that it is 100% risk free for the city, especially around like where the water is going to go. Dream did propose a temporary plan for how to deal with the uh, stormwater but again, in the city's report, they were like, well, we still can't be a thousand percent sure. So I don't know. But more importantly, the concern was that if you build some housing in Harbor Landing West, this is going to affect all the other developers who are in phase one who are hoping to build houses. Uh, and they've been like, you know, told you're in phase one, you're in phase two. So you're going to get to build your houses soon and make back all that money you spent on buying that land. Uh, and this would like impact their ability to do that because you'd be selling all these houses in Arbor Landing. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you know was raised by the developers of, um, I believe it was uh, Harvard uh, mentioned that when you build one place, that takes away from the demand uh, in another place because you've got houses over here, they won't necessarily buy over there. Which, as Mark Heisey from Rebellion Brewing pointed out, this is like just proves the fact that Like this is why our infill targets are never being hit because we're building constantly on the periphery of the city. And this is taking away any demand that there would be for to build on the rail yard lands or to build on the old Taylor field site. So in the end, uh, council voted 10 to one, I believe it was to uh, say no to Harbor Landing West. And uh, dream was very sad. One of the things that they did say is that they do want to go ahead with the school. And so they're going to get dream together with the province because the province is ultimately the ones who like, you know, build the school and say, you know, what kind of school is going to be. And uh, so they have to sit down with the province, the education ministry, the school boards and, uh, and uh, dream, and they will work out a location for it and they will build the school. So they are going to get a school and Harbor Landing West will eventually get developed. It's just probably not going to be in phase one. Uh, and the fact that Harbor Landing itself was kind of developed on the fly, kind of all came out of this mm. meeting. It's something that was kind of obvious and everybody knew it, but people haven't talked about that developing Harbor Landing, like to have more density, uh, made a lot of sense, according to sort of the, the, the philosophical underpinnings of the official community plan. But to be able to hit density in a neighborhood, you have to like build all of the infrastructure that supports that density. And that's something they didn't do. They would do these, they would come back every few months and they would say, Oh, we'd like to, you know, change the neighborhood plans so that we can put townhouses here instead of bungalows. And they kept doing this over a number, over like 10 years, they kept doing this over and over and over again. And as I said, increased the density by 30%, but they didn't change the road network. They didn't improve the stormwater system and they didn't increase the size of the school. So this is just, you know, an example of what happens when you make a plan and you don't stick to the plan and you kind of like horse trade on the floor of council. So it'd be like if like field of dreams, but except saying if you build it, they will come. It's if you don't bother building it, 
they will come anyway. Yep. And then and then you have to build it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it's going to be more expensive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can see why they can go with that uh, for Field yeah. of Dreams. That doesn't sound, that's not as dramatically exciting, but uh, wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, and that's the thing. We we all kind of knew, I mean, I didn't know in that sort of degree of detail, um, but we all knew that they were just throwing stuff together in Harbor Landing. Yeah. Uh, oh, well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I do feel bad because a lot of the people who, uh, working at administration. Now we're not working at administration 10 years ago when a lot of these decisions were being made. So, and or they were made. kind of being, or not made, right. <laughs> yeah. And they were being sort of, you know, pulled out in front of council and made to answer a lot of questions that uh, they weren't responsible for the decisions on. A dream, however, was all there. They, and that's one of the things that came out in council, uh, Mayor Masters is questioning is that dream was here asking for, they were saying, we need a school. So we have to build a neighborhood to build a school, but this is the same people who got us into the situation where we don't have enough school capacity for the, well, the neighborhood they designed. I mean, shouldn't some of the people at Dream be uniquely qualified to answer some of these questions, considering that they were actually working for the city at the time when these decisions were being made or not made, but left the city and now are at Dream? Shouldn't should yes. I'm I'm glad I'm glad that would have been the case because that I'm sure that that would have made that made the whole thing easier. Yeah, if only that person was on the call for Dream and could mm -hmm. have answered those questions instead of was silently in the background. Oh, exactly. Well, you know, if wishes were horses, etc. Wishes for horses, we would have, we would not build a school for them. Yeah, uh, I should mention. Uh, mm -hmm. When this vote happened, and when all the votes happened at this council meeting, this was exciting. They uh, piloted, they, well, no piloted, they launched their new Ooh. electronic voting system. Wow. Yeah. So councillors now, instead of like uh, what we had been doing, because all votes are now recorded, uh, the clerk would go around and ask, you know, say each councillor's name, and they would say yay or nay. Mm -hmm. um, now what they do is uh, they get to push a button. And... Uh, did this make things go faster? <laughs> no, it did I, not. <laughs> oh, I, what 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 a shocker! Yeah, there was a lot of sitting around. Now there were some technical difficulties at the beginning of the meeting, but by the end of the meeting, I think those technical difficulties were uh, were, were cleared up. And yet, still, you would sit there and wait and wait and wait. And um, if you're watching this on uh, on TV. It's just like a camera is being pointed at the uh, the projector. So at the screen that's projecting all these little like uh, icons, all these like photos of the counselors. Mm -hmm. And then all of their votes come up all at once. And you get like, you have like just a few seconds to sort of like rock what has happened. Right. And then the, the camera goes off and views something else. And like, I would appreciate it if they had some kind of like music hit that would play when all the votes have been tallied and they've like been posted to the board just to make things feel a little bit more festive. But right. Well, the thing is, it's my understanding is that actually when you, when you press the button to register your vote, what that happens is that you call forth the vote delivery robot, which they're all in a warehouse down in Harbor Landing. Yeah. And then they have to like actually like be powered up and then go to a computer and then they have to mine the uh, the crypto address to put the vote on the blockchain. Right. Yeah. And then the robots have to break down for a while and then have to be fixed. And then they then they deliver once the vote is on the blockchain that they I, I have no idea what that stuff's about, frankly. So um, it's, it's the same system they use to run the municipal election is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's why it all goes so smoothly. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, once, once on the blockchain, then the vote delivery robot um, gets a printout and it delivers it to uh, to a city administration, to the clerk. Wow. You know, yeah. I, wanted, I wonder if I can get like, uh, could I take my screen capture mm -hmm. of the very first electronic vote at Regina City Council and sell that as an NFT? Yeah, you could. Uh, I want to do that. Mint that NFT. There's, There's our innovative revenue tool for the week. Wow. That's, we, we, we nailed it. Yeah. A screen cap of an electronic vote. 
<laughs> That's right. Get in on the ground floor of NFTs with the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Yeah. And uh, and 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 get in on that gravy train. Yeah. Anyways, that's about it. Other stuff happened, but this was by far the most interesting and uh, monumental event at City Council this week. They instituted electronic voting. <laughs> so tell tell me what's what's coming up in the second half of uh, of our meeting because it's it's not the usual. No, it isn't. Um, well, I tell you what. Let's go to the innovative revenue tools, and then we can introduce it in the second half. Perfect. The Queen City Improvement Bureau would like to acknowledge the Regina Warehouse Business Improvement District for their support of our show. The Regina Warehouse Business Improvement District. Improving the district where there are warehouses in Regina. And we're back from Innovative Revenue Tools. Great revenue tools. Oh, by the way, Mm -hmm. uh, we should acknowledge our sponsor. Oh, who's that? The, well, the fine purveyor of warehouses and districts all over the city. Well, actually, it's the uh, warehouse, warehouse district business improve. Oh my, I, I can never say it. Do what do they call to? Paul? It's yeah, the, warehouse, the warehouse business improvement district. Thank dub you. Bid. The dub, the dub bid. Dub, dub bid. bid. Yeah. Okay, like there we that. go. Yeah. Yes, hey, they've got. They have, they have more than warehouses there. There's grocery stores, there's businesses, there's bars, there's everything you could want out of a district with warehouses that are in it. Yep. Yep. And they support us. We really appreciate it. Well, actually, yep. they support community radio. They do. And but us. they sponsor us in particular, and we are very grateful. Absolutely. All right. So uh, up next, uh, I met with uh, some people from upstairs. Mm-hmm. I met with uh, Greg Kuntz, the Manager of Energy and Sustainability Solutions, and Carol Tink, the Director of Innovation, Energy, and Technology. And uh, Greg and Carol were wanted to talk about uh, they are launching the next phase in the Sustainability and Energy Framework consultation. So we're recording on Monday night. On Tuesday night, they're going to be hosting a community forum online. And then when that is done, there will be a survey that will be launched so that you can watch video of the community forum and you can like go over what they're going to be launching. Are there seven big moves uh, regarding how the city is going to get to be 100% renewable by the year 2050? Yeah. And so they're going to give like a, an upper level overview of how we're going to achieve that. And uh, so right now, when you're listening, when people are listening to this, you can go to uh, beherd.regina.ca and you can click on the link for sustainability and energy, and energy framework, and that will take you to a survey. And you can like review what the city has done so far towards achieving these goals. And you can give your feedback, make your suggestions, and just be involved in the process. And so uh, Greg and Carol wanted to come by and talk about, uh, you know, why they're excited about mm-hmm this framework that they've been working on for the last year or so. So Fantastic. Oh, I'm really looking forward to this. Okay, I will play that. I am here with uh, Greg Kuntz, the Manager of Energy and Sustainability Solutions, and Carol Tink, the Director of Innovation, Energy, and Technology. Did I get those titles right? You did. Yep. Awesome. Okay, so uh, you guys are here today because uh, the sustainability and energy framework work moves forward. And uh, when this airs, we're actually doing this before, but when this airs, there will have been a community forum where you guys will be talking about the big moves that Regina has to make to bring, uh, you know, this renewable Regina future to pass, uh, this, this goal of net zero by 2050. Um, so I guess for me, who hasn't been to the forum because it's in my future, though, in the listeners past, uh, I guess what I was kind of hoping to get just to start is like, if you could give me an elevator pitch for, you know, why I should be excited about these big moves and the framework as it exists now. Sure. Well, why don't I start with that? And um, Carol, feel free to jump in if you have anything to add. So the seven big moves, um, they're they're really uh, quite exciting, I I think. And, you know, they're actually quite intuitive, though, when you see them. 
um, they really paint the picture of the seven things that we absolutely need to do to get to net zero. Um, and when you start seeing them, you start realizing that although this is a big, it is a big uh, problem to solve and we're going to have to do a lot to solve it. It's, it's really quite achievable when we start breaking it down into these pieces, right? So we're talking about things like retrofitting buildings to be more energy efficient or to improve, um, you know, insulation envelopes on buildings, you know, things we're all very capable of doing already. Um, and then making, you know, these policy changes or these, these um, building code changes and things like that, that, you know, the federal government's already really on top of to, to require buildings to be net zero ready by uh, in the future by, I believe it's 2035. But then we get into the other things, you know, those, the shiny objects we like to call them just because they're the things that everybody sees. And actually some of them are actually shiny like solar panels and whatnot uh, and making the switches to renewable energy um, just to, uh, you know, uh, get to that hundred percent renewable goal that we're also shooting for. But then it's a really good opportunity to educate the public, uh, but also to hear feedback on what they do think, what they maybe don't necessarily understand about the, these transitions. And that's things like fuel switching or heating. We're such a reliant uh, population on fossil fuels, especially you know in Regina, where it gets awfully cold. Uh, a lot of the arguments we hear are, we're a cold climate, we need to deal with it. Well, yeah, we are a cold climate, we need to deal with it, but there's more than one way to deal with it, right? Things like switching to highly efficient electrical heat pumps and using geothermal energy. It's all readily available and it's all, you know, it's all been done. We just need to start doing it on a larger scale. Um, the other thing is to understand that um, some of these changes are, are gonna happen and we need to get ready for them. Um, things like switches to uh, electric vehicles, or EVs, you'll hear us say, um, it's going to happen. The the federal government is is requiring it to happen. So we need to, you know, really get our ducks in a row so that we're ready for those changes. Or things like the switch away from fossil fuels is happening already, and it's going to become more drastic as we go. So how do we ensure a just transition for our workforce? And how do we identify what opportunities are out there, um, especially in the renewable sector, uh, and, you know, building retrofit sectors so that, you know, we can really seize the opportunity that's presented by this uh, and, you know, have really good environmental and economic success with this as we move forward. Um, Carol, would you have anything to add? I would just add that um, what we want to hear from the public is, um, I mean, the seven big moves are the seven big moves. So what we really want to hear from the public is how those moves will impact them so that we can make sure that this plan um, addresses everybody's needs as we transition. And yeah, on top of that, that just reminded me of something else is it's a great opportunity for the community and residents to, to see what opportunities are possibly out there and what direction, you know, the economy and the city is going to go so that, you know, they can get involved or, you know, they can capitalize on these things as they move forward. So, um, you know, it, it's, I really like to frame this as an opportunity more so than just this big challenge. It's a really great opportunity for the city to, you know, get ahead of the game and, uh, you know, really reap the benefits of this transition. Uh, with these seven big moves, um, some of these are very big picture ideas, like this whole idea of uh, retrofitting buildings. Um, how do we, how do we do this beyond just saying this needs to happen? Like, does the city have, a, do you guys, are you developing a plan on how the city is going to be able to support a lot of what's going to be like sort of personal capital investments uh, for residents? Like how, how are we going to, how are we going to actualize this with, with money? There's many incentives that the city can use to um, incent or methods that cities can use to incentivize retrofits, both for um, residential uh, properties and commercial or um, establishing low energy loan or low, low energy loans, uh, low uh, interest loans. Uh, and so those are kind of the tools that we're looking at at the city of Regina right now. Yeah, and yeah, to, to further that, there's incentive programs that we can have in place, but there's also, you know, the city does have a certain amount of regulatory authority over things like buildings. So we would also investigate things like how, when we, when we, you know, plan new neighborhoods and build new neighborhoods, or when we uh, put, um, you know, development requirements onto buildings or facilities, how, how we can really build that into, you know, the standard and what we require for a building moving forward as well. Right. How about, okay, so you guys had done a, 
like an energy inventory that came out in July and it listed uh, like transportation, for instance, at 24% of uh, our carbon output. Uh, residential is only 16. Um, well, let's just talk about transportation to start. Like, what do you see as the trend? Like th- one of the points that was made in the presentation about it is that electric vehicles are coming. So this is actually something that you don't predict in a business as usual uh, scenario to like increase too much. But what are you guys going to be doing on the city side to sort of achieve that, you know, drop in the emissions from transportation? So I'll start with the city itself. Um, we are currently actually investigating through the transit master plan, alternative fuels for our bus fleet. That's, that's a really big piece of it. The, our transit fleet uses a lot of energy and is responsible for a good portion of our greenhouse gases. So looking at things like how we power that fleet, like uh, transit, also looking at our small and large vehicle fleets. So the small vehicle fleet, how do we facilitate that transition to an electric vehicle fleet, especially as SAS Power's grid cleans up, and it has been cleaning up over the years. Uh, we can see reduced emissions there. Um, we've got some challenges with our with our large fleet, like, you know, all the big bulldozers you see at the landfill and whatnot. Um, how do we power those? There's not really commercially viable uh, electric solutions to that yet. So maybe something like um, hydrogen, uh, you know, green sourced hydrogen would be a solution there. Um, now, that that's a really quite small component of the energy and greenhouse gas component of it for the community, though. Um, when we look at the community as a whole, there's there's a couple prongs to this approach. One is that electrification of the fleet. Uh, and by fleet, I mean everyone's vehicles out there. Uh, improving transit and moving transit to electric is really important there as well, as I just discussed. But one is, you know, increasing active transportation modes or opportunities for active transportation within the community is a huge component to this. If we can cut just trips to things like the store, or, or, you know, to work and have people within, you know, more compact communities or, you know, complete communities. And if they can walk to work and walk to the store, that's a huge component of this as well. Right. Well, that's one of the things that I've been uh, a little bit concerned about personally uh, as this develops is like this issue of complete communities and how that ties into issues of land land use and development patterns and how those things are really intrinsic to the way that, uh, you know, our energy use uh, plays out, especially with our transportation. And, you know, our OCP has this 30% infill target that we've never hit. And... How, how are you going to address this, uh, this city development issue through the uh, renewability framework? Carol? Yeah, so I'll start. Um, the framework um, will obviously consider those types of items and potentially set targets around some of those, um, those uh, key metrics that would enable us to achieve the goals. Um, from a uh, delivery perspective, I'm going to have to pass that over to you. That, that's, that's exactly it. And delivery is going to be coming kind of in stage two of this. Right now, the framework is setting the goals, but also, you know, giving us some of those um, ideas and, and I guess tools on how we need to get there. Um, how we implement that is what we like to call the implementation stage of it. And, you know, one of those big things is how we design, how we build communities is, is going to be one of the big aspects of this moving forward. And it's going to be one of those actions that we're going to need to figure out how we deliver after the framework um, is developed. These do th- seem like things that are going to require a lot of buy-in from the public. Uh, and yet, you know, as soon as it becomes an issue of, you know, money being having to be spent and uh, effort and time being put into this, uh, that's when you're going to start to see like a lot of pushback against that. Like everybody thinks that, you know, going green is great until it costs you know, more money than not being green. So how, how do you guys have like an idea of how to like overcome this enthusiasm gap to, to make this real? Well, um, one, one tactic that we've already um, been using is trying to build up what we call energy literacy within the community. So we've been actively out um, in the community at farmers markets. Um, we've had uh, awareness campaigns online through social media um, using different tactics like that, we've had some experiential marketing at events like the Queen City X, um, really trying to um, educate people on 
what it really means to reach this goal and, um, and also to drive people to our online resources on beheard.rajana.ca. And so that kind of uh, messaging um, needs to continue within the community. And we do have kind of a phase two plan to our community awareness um, marketing campaign um, that really looks to uh, build that buy-in as we move the plan forward over the next 29 years. Uh, but more immediately here within the next year, we've got um, some, some good plans for how to um, get the community on board. Greg, anything to add? Yeah, just one other on, on you know, we talk about this costing money and all this work costing money. This actually, we're going to have a pretty robust uh, financial analysis that accompanies this framework that shows the cost of inaction is far greater than the cost of action in the long term. Um, the cost of, you know, one, $1 today saves us $6 in the future is generally the number that's, that's kicked around out there because of the cost of, you know, dealing with these floods with, you know, ice storms and things like that that's the really expensive stuff and we're starting to see it more and more. And I think we're seeing a, a change in people's uh, attitudes towards it. And they're starting to really understand that, but also, you know, the investment that we're going to see in these green technologies, these building retrofits is really going to spur on the economy. And we're going to see not just savings in energy and things like that. Um, but we're, we're going to see, you know, a lot more return on those investments moving forward. So the return and the savings is actually quite a bit greater than the investment uh, over the long term. Um, and I would just add one more thing, sorry. Um, you know, it, it's also important for people to focus on kind of the co-benefits, um, you know, improved health outcomes, um, some of the economic development that comes with the investment uh, in a renewable plan, um, a more resilient energy system, and then, you know, ultimately that improved quality of life. So those are some of the other kind of intangibles, I think, or some of them are tangible that, you know, we need to get people thinking about beyond just the, the financials. I guess I'm wondering about this, like one of the phrases that comes up all the time is the idea of a just transition. And you have a lot of people in living, living in say like the core or North Central, uh, even like Cathedral downtown, where they have like older homes that just leak warmth all winter long and uh you know they can be aware of the benefits of changing in the long term uh the, the long-term savings they would achieve but you know that initial upfront expenditure is just you know beyond imagining like how will the city um you know help those people who you know recognize the importance of the change but can't make the short-term investment that's needed that, and that's a great question. And that's something we're really focused on. Um, and we, we look at it from two perspectives. There's the just transition um, idea that is largely about uh, just transition for workers so that, you know, people who are currently employed in um, business that's related to fossil fuels and whatnot can continue to be employed in, you know, these new industries and whatnot. There's also the equitable transition. And, and that really touches on that. Um, and it is going to be a big part of our, our framework coming out. We haven't worked out all the details on what that looks like just yet, but it will be coming out. The other part of equity is um, we're going to see a lot of job creation from the actions that are put forward in this framework. And there's a lot of opportunity for underrepresented groups, you know, to, to become trained and, and become active in, you know, all these new industries and new things going on. So that's another aspect we're really looking at. You're listening to the Queen City Improvement Bureau interview with Greg Kunz and Carol Tink from the City of Regina about the Energy and Sustainability Framework Consultation on 91.3 FM, CJTR, tuned into the community. Well, uh, just to shift gears slightly, uh, in that energy audit, uh, one of the, like the big number was the 34% of our emissions are coming from industrial. Uh, what are you guys saying? Because I, I, like you've been meeting with stakeholders throughout this. Like, what are you guys saying to like the business and industry community uh, about what this framework is going to mean to them? We've um, actively been discussing um, with industry stakeholders what their plans are to decarbonize, um, and our low our low uh, carbon scenario model um, anticipates that all industry in Regina will decarbonize by 2050. And so those discussions are ongoing and quite positive to, to date. 
Have you guys been facing any pushback or like, you know, grumpy folk uh, when you start talking about these issues? I would say mostly only on social media. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. Comments on social media. Yeah. Any, it, any conversations we've had um, with the community advisory group or, you know, within the community at the farmer's market um, all summer long, um, it, it's been supportive and people uh, want to learn more and they want to know how to be part of the solution. So, um, yeah, it's just online. <laughs> right. What about, now, I know that when this came forward, it passed unanimously at council, but we do have a new council. Uh, have you, like, are you guys feeling the love from city council? We've been in front of council infrequently, I, I guess I would say, with the plan, because we've been setting the groundwork. We've been in front of them a couple of times, um, you know, going over our business's plan scenarios. And we're going to be getting back in front of them once we kind of nail down what the action or we know what the actions are, what order the actions take and what, you know, the low carbon scenario looks like. But I would say, generally speaking, overall, we're feeling a lot of support from mayor and council on this. Um, now, that's not to say that they, they have seen all of the work and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, the notion of becoming net zero by 2050 is really something that they have been behind. Cool. And I guess the other thing I would add is that uh, while the team was at the farmer's market during the summer, we did invite um, mayor, masters and councillors to join us um, to help with that community engagement. Um, and many of them did throughout the summer. So I think that shows great support as well. Right on. That's great to hear. Early on, you suggested that, you know, once you break it down to the seven moves and you start looking, you start breaking down the problem of getting to net zero, that it's achievable. It still seems gigantic to me. Like, why are you guys so confident that this is something we can we can accomplish? It, it comes down. To, I always talk to my kids and it's like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Right. Mm -hmm. um, when we break it down, um, we, we just see a lot of items that, hey, we know how to do that. Hey, we know how to do that. Right. Um, and I, I guess maybe maybe the way I perceive it isn't, you know, this is something we can do. This is something we must do. Um, there is no option for failure on this. So um, we've seen, we've seen in, you know, a lot of cases where people, once, once they get committed to the cause and once they decide it has to happen, there's almost nothing that we can't accomplish. So I think we're seeing a lot more people come on side and realizing that this is something we need to do. And that, you know, the option of not doing it just isn't an option. I was just going to say, I, I would agree with that. And I think that the, the more we get into the work, um, the less impossible the task seems. So it's actually been um, really hopeful that way. That's and, awesome. And you know, uh, I'm going to give I'm going to give a little bit of a shout out to the city administration here as they see this rolling out. They're getting really excited about the things that we're talking about. You know, like we're working with transit, and by at no time are they you know um, pushing back on alternative fuel buses. They're all really excited about the prospect of, of moving in that direction. And we're seeing that across administration there. Everybody's like on board and they're like, okay, let's give us the plan and let us get going on it. Cool. Uh, we have about five minutes left. Um, so I, I wanted to end on, I wanted to know if you guys are excited about this work, but more than that, I also kind of wanted to know, uh, is this like, is this the kind of urban planning you were hoping to get into when you, you know, got into this city business that you're doing? Like I'm, I'm, I'm trained as an engineer, an environmental engineer. Yeah. Um, you know, I never really saw myself getting into this particular area of the environment, uh, largely because, you know, it wasn't talked about as much when I was younger. Um, my focus has always been on water quality and, and, you know, um, groundwater quality and and things like that uh, and I always we're always fighting other problems with air quality so I never never thought I'd be in this area but it is a really cool interesting area to be in because I'm starting to realize that as we solve this problem it addresses almost all those other problems right um, so it, it's kind of uh, you know it, it's linked and tied to everything and it's really nice to see that improvements here will improve things across the board. Right. Carol, how about you? Yeah, and from my perspective, to answer kind of the first part of the question, um, 
if we're excited about the work, I'm very excited to be leading this work. I think it's a, a really awesome opportunity. Um, it's definitely not where I thought my career would end up. Um, I, my background is in technology. And so, um, you know, I kind of volunteered to lead this because of my own personal passion uh, and commitment to uh, environmental sustainability. So it's just been a really fortunate opportunity that I've um, been able to uh, find. Well, this has been great and instructive. Um, thanks a lot. Could you like just let us know, like, where can listeners go to get more information on this and take part in the survey and all of that sort of stuff? Yeah, so our Be Heard site is the best place to go. Um, it's got all the resources you need, and that's where the survey will be launched on October 20th. And you can reach that at regina.ca slash renewable. Perfect. And is there anything else that people should keep an eye out for in the uh, coming weeks and months that, uh, you know, they should be alert for? Well, watch for when the uh, framework goes to City Council um, and please let your voice be heard. Come out and speak and in support of the work and um, share your thoughts with us there as well. Awesome. And so the framework is supposed to come back in like December or is it November? The framework will be completed in December um, and it will likely be debated at uh, committee and council during Q1 of 2022. Awesome. Okay. Thanks very much, guys. Thank Thank you. you. That's it for our interview with Greg Kuntz and Carol Tink from the City of Regina about the energy and sustainability framework and the work they've been doing on that. And just to remind everybody one more time to get involved in this consultation about, you know, Regina meeting its, you know, greenhouse gas emission reduction goals and its green goals. Go to uh, beherd.regina.ca, look for the link on energy and sustainability, and fill out the survey. Great. Well, I will, uh, I will do that. And so should you all. Uh, I guess we should move to adjourn. We should move to adjourn. Okay. Well, I, then I do move to adjourn. And I second that motion. Very well then. Motion is passed. You've been listening to the Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 FM CJTR. Tune into the community. We are broadcast on Thursday evenings, uh, 7 to 8 p.m. And we broadcast Monday afternoons, 3 to 4 p.m. You can find us at cjtr.ca slash podcast. Also, uh, queencityib.com. Also, queencityib on Twitter. Uh, coming up next, we have the Nerdcore Cabaret, followed by music all on through the night. That's it. Keep on improving, Regina. Mm-hmm.